All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce. How's things going, Duncan? Really good, Lee. Glad to hear from you. Everything good year-end? Everything is really good. I was just saying to you before we went on the air that I'm heading over to Perth for Elimination Chamber this week at some point. Oh, magic. Because um, of the way that the... It lines up with the Royal Rumble. I'll still get that as part of my subscription before I duck out at the end of the month. So I'm going to be looking forward to that. Nice. I'll take my Manchester City scarf just in case I can get on on the air. But I'm not quite as close as I was when I went to Survivor Series back in 2014. (laughs) You'll be better representing Man City than the people in the pub I was watching the game with yesterday. Oh, that was a um, a tough one. 3.30 a.m. kickoff for me. So I went to oh. bed, couldn't sleep, got back up at 3.30 for the game as I always do, and then couldn't sleep because I was so angry at half five when it finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was really surprised at that, yeah. Um, very disappointed. I love seeing the world's most expensive mid-table club get put through it, so... <laughs> yeah, we just can't... It's, it's all about putting the midfield players in the midfield for us at the moment. He keeps on persisting with trying to get a Kanji and Alvarez into the midfield. And I just, you know, who am I to criticize one Pep Guardiola? But um, <laughs> it is quite infuriating to watch. Although, so having said that, I did just obtain my A license this week. So, you know, hey. may, may, maybe I should give Pep a call. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I was surprised how much channel work De Bruyne was doing that game I thought that was that wasn't in his purview anymore his legs don't seem to have it for that really yeah he's come back robust but um not robust enough for, for the win yesterday we just couldn't buy a bloody goal I know poor, poor Harland my, my, my wife was gutted for him was like oh no Pep will be so mad at him Oh no, he's a, he's um he lost a family member a day or so before the game, I think. So Aww. I suppose you can probably forgive him for having you know a rare stinker in front of goal with you know bigger things to play, I guess. Well, and like Kevin, he's only just back from the wars in terms of injuries as well. Absolutely, um, but we're not here to talk about Manchester City, thank God, because we're not on top of the table. <laughs> but you know, maybe even. Um, succumbing the top spot to the table would still be more enjoyable than, than some of the wrestling we've got to review. Oh, yeah, I tell you what, none of this is at the top of the table either, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think we're delaying on purpose, so should we tell everyone that we're here to watch the November 18 episode of Thunder and Smackdown from 1999? Yeah, this is the week after Survivor Series, and it turns out, oh shit, it's the week before Mayhem for WCW. There you go. I struggled to even get that information from watching the show. So full disclosure before we start today, I think Thunder's notes might be the lightest I've ever written because I just really struggled to concentrate through this one. Oh, man. Um, I think I can cover you for parts of this. Um, I mean, most of the time there's a little point for play-by-play, but um, yeah, I can help out. Awesome. Which one did you watch first, out of curiosity? I went for Thunder first. Um, This was my first time on the network with its brand new AI, which, uh, sorry, its brand new UI, which is going to go out the window next year when they're all on Netflix instead. Um, And I was a little bit surprised. It wasn't quite as hard to navigate as I thought, although it's kind of off-putting that I had to go to the WWE in-ring section to find Thunder. It's, I think it's it's like that here. So 
it's on binge over here, which I, I don't know what the equivalent is around the country because Australia seems to sign up a couple of years after everyone else. So I'm not too worried about the Netflix jump right now. Um, but ours is split into four sections. So it's PLE, pay-per-view, then in-ring, and then it's recap and news. And then it's, um, oh, this is, it's a documentary section, but I can't remember what it's called. But like the recap and news section is completely pointless. So everything that I would ever consider watching is basically squished into three tiers and you mm. just have to scroll across one by one by one by one to get to what you want. It is painfully slow. That's really interesting. It's kind of the opposite here. I think recap and news and docs are just like in um, network originals or something they call it. So that's where like this week in WWE and um, like the Vladimir super fan, like all that kind of stuff is as well. Like This is awesome and all that. Oh, that's interesting. So that's like two sections for us over here. Yeah. Um, it's like the bump and this is WWE and mm-hmm. Raw Recap, SmackDown Recap all on one panel. And then all the, all the docs and home videos are on another panel. Yeah. Um, what, what was kind of off-putting for me was the jump to for like going to straight to matches. It's kind of hidden on screen. Like it's in this nebulous bit in between the uh, 30 second fast forward and the info bit. But like it's not actually on the toolbar, like so. Or oh, wait for this, Duncan. Go on. We don't have jump to matches anymore. Oh no! See, that's what I I thought that we were in that situation, and it was only when I was trying to like do a rewind and I uh, do a fast forward and I skipped ahead too far that I discovered it. It's like, oh wait. No, ours is even like. You, you say, because sometimes these shows, like as you, you'll probably attest, like you don't always watch them in one sitting. Yeah. Um, and there'll be times where I'll watch Thunder, say the first 15 minutes, and then I'll come back and I'll do the next 20 minutes. And then when I come back to watch the next bit, I'm back to where I started on the first sitting and it doesn't save the place. It's really infuriating. Oh, no. Oh, that's really bad. Yeah, they, they save it pretty well for us. Um, so full disclosure, I actually got through Thunder in wall one sitting and SmackDown... Uh, I think I needed free, but it was more kind of like circumstances and timing rather than like what was going on with the show. Oh, there you go. Thunder, I think I, I dillied on for a week and SmackDown <laughs> I've watched since yesterday. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, well, well, we've both watched Thunder first, so why don't we head over and, and get through WCW? Oh, let's take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, Thunder is on the air. Two action-packed hours with the superstars of WCW on the Superstation TBS. And the countdown is on to the first ever Mayhem pay-per-view. We are now less than 72 hours away from crowning a new World's Heavyweight Champion. It's this Sunday night. It's live from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, where we will witness the final four contenders in the semifinals and the finals of the WCW World's Title Tournament. And hello once again, everyone, alongside wrestling's living legend, Larry Zabisco. I'm Mike Tanay, and Larry, in this new, unpredictable era of World Championship Wrestling, the field has been narrowed to Sting versus Bret Hart and Chris Benoit versus Jeff Jarrett. One of those four men win the most prestigious championship built in our sport this Sunday. Well, I tell you what, we have the fearless foursome left, Mike. Uh, guys that no one expected to be there, but Goldberg, Sid Vicious, the favorite, knocked out early. 
due to uh, circumstances beyond their control. And I'm telling you, the match between Sting and Bret Hart is going to be one that's too close to call. Now, Jeff Jarrett is a wild card, but he's got the powers that be behind him. He can't be the chosen one. And I don't like that. Well, that would seem to be a huge advantage for Jeff Jarrett going into this Sunday's pay-per-view. The fact that the powers that be have anointed him the chosen one would, would seem to give him a leg up on the competition. Thunder, as always, uh, Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco on the commentary team, and they tell us the semifinals of the title tournament are going to be Chris Benoit and Jeff Jarrett and Bret Hart and Sting. That's all who's left in the tournament. Um, and unfortunately, that won't be the last we hear of this tournament stuff because I've, I've decided for the last month, Thunder has just... It starts with tournament video filler on the page for three segments, and they build around that. Right, yeah. This is... Uh where they kind of dig themselves a hole with the double tapings, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just not good. Uh, and then we start with the first family coming out. Um, Bam Bam's going to come out to take take on one of them, but I'm, I'm really struggling to hear uh, because the commentary team are talking about the powers that be and they're going over like the, the ringside audio, so I could not figure out who was meant to be fighting who until they pretty much both got in the ring ready to square off. Um, and then by that time, it was Jerry Flynn. Yeah, you're not alone here. I, I had the same here. I said, commentary has been talking for a whole minute and still hasn't explained what this match is. Then, literally the moment that Tanay finally explains what this match is, Norman Smiley comes to ringside, because, you know, we need an angle in this match too. Yeah, I wrote here, 10 seconds in, nothing's happened, Smiley's out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a hardcore match. Jerry Flynn's representing the first family against Bam Bam Bigelow. I had a big old laugh at all of the empty seats for the first family's entrance. <laughs> Anti-draw. Oh my goodness. I, there's something else funny that I noticed around the ringside area. I'll get to it a little bit later on. But um, <laughs> what what's the point of this being a hardcore match, but Sm- Norman Smiley comes out because Nobbs is at ringside and they're facing each other for the hardcore title like coming up. So why are these two in the ring in a hardcore match? Beats me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know, try, trying to explain Vince Russo's booking is um, qu- quite a task, shall we say. Um, we were talking about UI on our respective viewing platforms as well. The fucking subtitles on the network have Brett Hart with two T's in Brett. <laughs> Ric Flair with a K is coming up. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Um, my notes here just say, I can't keep up. There's garbage all through the ring because they start with shit all through the ring. Um, there's no focus. The first family interfere. Norman hits the barbarian with a the chair, then gives it to Bam Bam Bigelow. Everyone's laid out uh, and Jerry and Bam Bam picks up the three counts. So just the action was so secondary to everything else they wanted to get over. But as we go through the show, they're, they're pushing angles all night. Like, let a two-minute match have the two minutes it needs. Exactly. Yeah, I felt the same way like how the initial focus was all on the first family intimidating norman at ringside the only highlight for me was when bam bam tangoed flynn with a pair of can lids that took me right back to my childhood um (laughs) (laughs) plunder nonsense no focus crap outside interference this was garbage i rated this a dud did you venture on the hammerlock scale perchance Oh, look, I I, I, I I, wrote it down and I ummed and ahed because I feel like it was more the fault of the show. But 
you know, I think it still has to rate. So I was going to get like a, you know, a tepid three out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, it was just, speaking of uh, taking you back to your childhood, it just, in the second you said that, I just had a flash of, of the moment. Uh, my brother and I realized that you could hit each other over the head with the cookie sheets, make a lot of noise, and it wouldn't really do you any damage. <laughs> ah, brilliant. <laughs> it was about this time we um, we ruined every baking tray in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's got a lot to uh, that's got a lot to blame for later problems, I imagine. <laughs> um, we then go to Disco Inferno trying to place a bet on his match over the phone. Um, so you know we know it's fixed, but I'll um, I'll splice it in so everyone can hear the nonsense going on here because this happens a few times through the night. Oh uh, yeah, I would like to bet uh, fifty thousand dollars on Prince Ayukaya. What do you mean you don't take bets on professional wrestling? What do you mean it's fixed? Since when? God, some people are too smart for the wrong damn good. What did you think about Disco Inferno trying to make some money betting on his own matches, Duncan? Do you get it? They don't accept bets because wrestling's fixed. <laughs> oh, so bad. God. This is, like... In comparison to some of the other things that we'll get tonight, it's a very, very minuscule wrestling's a work, bro, aspect of Russo mania, but it's still just like, come on, just, just yeah. let us not have wrestling. Not needed at all. No. Um, Buff Bagwell's backstage looking for Chris Benoit. He asks Terry Taylor where he is and goes off in search. And then we come back to the Disco Inferno taking on Prince Iakea. Yeah, his cruiserweight title is not on the line. You can tell that this is a pre-recorded show because Larry actually gets the name of the powers that be correct. Oh, there you go. So this one is interesting to me because it, it felt like Disco was trying to lose the match early on. Did you? Is that sort of how it came across to you, Duncan? Yeah, I wonder if he actually found a a taker for um, his bet and he's trying to throw the match maybe to get the money. Tanae just flat out at one point says that he's got a gambling problem and that's probably what they're trying to play into here. But but herein lies the problem with telling us wrestling's a work because suddenly mid-match he just gets competitive again. <laughs> um, so he hits a second rope elbow drop for a two. Um, the Prince comes back with a backside for a two. With a clothesline from Disco and then some Aloha Disco for yeah! two for Prince Ayakea. <laughs> um, you just missed my dick move of the night. Oh. Tanay was mentioning, yo, Disco tried to bet that he could get a date with Medusa. And Larry goes, well, that's not hard to do. Oh, yeah, I recall that actually. Yeah, that's a bit rough. Sheesh. Um, we're told that Evan Courageous will be taking on Disco Inferno at the pay-per-view as well. Um, we get a slam from Disco for a two and then a DDT. And then someone brings out a gift for him and it is a fish. So we're going for some pretty heavy mobster tropes here. Um, this allows the Prince to roll him up for a one, two, three. And then after the match, Disco hits him with the stunner. Um, yeah, just a... A strange one for me. So he was trying to lose, then he was trying to win, and then he did lose, and he was mad that he lost. Mm, very weird. He was so mad, he got the dead fish all over the mat, which I thought was gross. Ugh. 
You mentioned how Evans going to be the challenger at the pay-per-view. The ref in this match was the lad that wrestled Evan on Nitro, and apparently Medusa used her charms on him. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this company's in the right state. I, I think at yeah. least there was some back and forth in this. It was no big botches at the very least, just nothing revolutionary and... I think you hit the nail on the head on what the pattern is going to be all night, Lee. It's all the grubbings on the outside that's going to drag everything down. Absolutely. We then go to Evan Courageous with Mean Gene. It's a basically, I wrote here, it's a stoner-level promo. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's something fishy about the Disco Inferno. Oh, God, terrible. Um, and then backstage, Van Hammer brawls with Kurt Hennig. So Kurt Hennig's still in that ongoing storyline where the second he's pinned, he's got to retire. Um, think the same storyline they did with Ric Flair prior to his WrestleMania match with Shawn Michaels, and you'll get the hint, oh. but on a much, much lower scale. <laughs> right, so Van Hammer's telling him he'll go easy on him because you know, every match for Hennig's a career-threatening match. But then he actually tried to like extort some money to take a dive in the match, and that's when... Kurt really kicked off at him. Yeah, fun times. <laughs> we then go to the Maestro taking on Evan Courageous with Medusa, and Medusa appears to have a few new, a couple of new additions on show here. Um, far out. This was um, <laughs> these were um, <laughs> hard to miss. I thought she must be preparing for a match with Tony Storm because she's got her hair up and her tits out. <laughs> if you if you think to when China clearly went and got um you know a boob job, and then Medusa comes out in like a USA bikini top with the exact same size breasts, and you'll get the picture of what's on show here. I sincerely hope this was just her own personal choice and not mm. someone from management, let's say, leaning on her, saying, "Oh, you'll get a push if you modernize your look." Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, another match here where the commenta- commentary team ignore them and the crowd audio is not matching the video, so we're getting cheers when clearly no one gives a shit about what's going on. <laughs> um, we get a decent power slam from Evan and then a good back suplex from the Maestro and a front suplex, uh, sorry, back suplex for a two before Evan Cray just comes back with a snap suplex, a spine buster from the Maestro, um, Medusa gets up on the apron and kisses the maestro, but then Evan Courageous gets upset by this, so she kisses him, and then her man distracted, the maestro rolls him up for the one, two, three in a very strange finish here. What a bollocks finish. Ay, ay, ay. What summed this match up for me is one note that I made here. Maestro always seems to regain control without really doing much. <laughs> oh, it's um <coughs> it's just terrible. And um I noticed here as well, like, do you remember a little um, a little while back you were giving out to Thunder for having, like, the plain grey aprons? Mm-hmm. Well, I was, like, looking at the um, apron as, a, as I think it was when the Medusa angle, um, on, when she got on the apron, and I noticed on the outside their audio is just a big subwoofer speaker sat sideways on a chair at ringside. Oh, yes. Yeah, there, there was... Um, was that the last week when... Perry Saturn had that random woman with him. They, I think they do that for when they've got promos coming up in the ring, and yeah, they must not have put them away properly. 
Um, it just looked like the audio equivalent of like your random house party when you were 19. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some production. <laughs> um, Larry, charming as ever, he has a line here. Aisha, she might as well be a man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, yeah. That's your two fellas fighting for the Cruiserweight title on the pay-per-view, and they're both losers. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're sure building some big matches here, aren't we? Very much so. Did you spot the sign in the crowd where... Somebody drew Goldberg dressed as Tinky Winky from the Teletubbies. No, I didn't. I was, I was just looking for anything to kind of pop me at this moment. <laughs> that's um, that's right up there. We go backstage um to Gene with the Revolution, and he cuts a promo. Uh, sorry, they cut a promo on Tory and the Filthy Animals. Um, Saturn is just insane during this. Like he's clearly like the beginnings of the Moppy era character were on show here in this one. Right? Yeah, I feel like this is something that would get pinned on the WWF a lot, but they maybe there was rumblings already that Perry was kind of out there. So I think Douglas is talking about. Ace is going to tear Tori apart like a Barbie doll, and Perry points out they're really hard to put back together when you do that, you know. Yep, yep. What? Everybody did it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, Perry Saturn is, you know, that kid from Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he grew up and joined the Marines and then quit the Marines and became a wrestler. That's some life story. <laughs> Um, we go rapid fire through a bunch of backstage stuff. So after that, Disco's on the phone to the bookie again, trying to buy himself some time for his debt. And then we see Chris Benoit walk past Terry Taylor in the same spot we saw him earlier. And literally within one second of him exiting stage left, Buff Bagwell goes, hey, have you seen Benoit? Like, they were so close that they were in the same room at the same time. Like, you, if you're going to do that, you have to wait five, ten seconds before the next person comes in. But we don't have time for that. Just follow him straight in and act like you didn't see him. Felt like there's supposed to be a commercial between there or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just nonsense. Um, we've got... Sorry, I've got here... Poor, this poor audio and video on absolutely everything as we go on. So we've got Gene with um kaz and la parker so they're dubbed over think of it like a less funny kai and tai and that's what you've got here with their backstage promo although like say less funny it's not that it was terrible but it clearly wasn't like as well thought out as the kai and tai promos there's one line that i thought was half decent kaz in air quotes kaz talks about the kaz master knew that the skeleton had the key yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. You um, completely glossed over the it's not your father's nitro recap that we got. I um, I don't even recall that. There you go. Oh. So it's basically a really long recap of everything that happened on Nitro. Um, this was the episode where Sid, um, sorry, where Nash put prosthetics on to look like Sid. And that led to the infamous, I have half a brain that you do line. And they included it in the fucking promo here. What are you doing? 
Yeah, actually, I do remember seeing that. There must have just been, like, so much stuff going on with the package. Like, this might happen again later when it comes to the world title tournament because the video package starts and it's transitioning into the next... Like, I I don't actually know what the purpose of the package is as I'm watching it. And I remember during the show thinking, like, okay, like, what's this here? And, like, it would go from, like, Sid and the Outsiders to just some, you know, tag team match or cruiserweight match or something without, like, any clear explanation as to what the video package was for. So I kind of get that Nitro and Thunder are on slightly different networks in, in the Turner group, but I highly doubt there's anybody that is watching Thunder right now who isn't watching Nitro. And this feels like oh, a big point of like, oh, you can't, you can't believe what's going on in Nitro. Look at all this stuff that you're missing. Yeah, it's, there's no way anyone's going to watch Thunder if they've not watched Nitro. Not not while SmackDown's on anyway, because the only reason you'd miss Nitro but still watch Thunder is if there was no competition on this night, right? Right, yeah. Um, we, we've got an interesting situation with that coming up that we might have to talk over. But um, yeah, um, I could go through as much of this as you want, Lee. Um, there's, yeah, there's, go for it. So uh, Booker T got saved from Creative Control by Midnight. Dr. Death interrupted the piñata on the pole match. Awesome. Hennig tried to... You know how they do the gimmick where Goldberg comes out of the locker room and the camera follows him to the back? Yeah. Well, Kurt Hennig was actually in a match with Goldberg and he decided to try and attack Goldberg while he was coming out of the locker room. Which is pretty smart, to be fair, to to Kurt Hennig. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen that before. It didn't work anyway... But Hennig lost by submission instead of pinfall, so he's not retired yet. That's a weird one too, by the way. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I thought that this ended up in some kind of video package for Mayhem too, and I'm like, that's worse than losing by pinfall, surely? <laughs> yeah. Um, the wall, brother! Squashed the misfits, and then Berlin attacked Vampiro with a chain. Yep. Sid powerbombed Rick Steiner through the stage. He got the ambulance cell job. There's then, this is the one that I really wanted to highlight, there's some crazy women's match where Tori is dressed in a referee bikini, but David Flair is the actual referee, and he suplexes Asia, attacks Douglas with a crowbar, and then chases Kimberly out of the arena. Yeah, and now hopefully after everyone has listened to that, you'll understand why I couldn't figure out the point of the video package and ended up just writing the next thing that happened on screen. <laughs> exactly. Um, Revolution injured Rey Mysterio's knee in the cage match. Then the main event was some kind of non-match between Sid and Nash, with Nash being lured out of retirement for this. Um, Sid was getting double-teamed by the Outsiders. Goldberg made the save. But then started brawling with Sid, and then Brett made the actual save. That is a hell of a lot to have in one video package. Exactly. I mean, Nitro is just at the tail end of being three hours, so I think it squished a lot in there. Yeah, yeah, just too much, to be fair. Um, so from there, we have... Um, 
Benoit um, and Buff do catch up, so they're sat down backstage, and then he says, he says um, something along the lines of like, "I'm not asking you to do the job, but just don't put the cross face on." Um, and Benoit obviously refuses to go easy or, or to fix the match, and then Buff Backwell attacks him, attacks him, sorry, and they're pulled apart by officials backstage. Yeah, so. Um... Buff is like, you know the state of how my neck is. So he wants none of Benoit's trademark moves. When the brawl happens, they're around the salad table where like Terry Taylor was hanging about. And one security guy slips on some of the salad that was spilt on the ground when he was trying to break it up. <laughs> we then go to Kaz and LaParka taking on El Dandy and Silver King. Uh, I had to look up who was in the match because there was no entrance entrances and there was no graphics or anything to tell me. Um, so that was awesome. The match starts and I'm like, oh, I can't. Rem- I actually just couldn't tell the cruiserweights apart. To be fair, so that's probably partly my fault. But it just goes to show how poor the production is on, on this show. Mm. Um, we get a good quick start to the match. It's it's pretty good early, but it's basically to Hogan Rock WrestleMania 18 audio. So something's not adding up here. <laughs> oh boy, um, I loved for. El Dandy's cut off for a dive was just getting back in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> the action does become quite clunky after a good start. Um, we get a double clothesline um, by La Parker, and then we get El, uh, sorry, an El Dandy Silver King double press slam. Um, we get a Silver King missing a Swanton. La Parker hits a top rope spin kick for the one, two, three. And overall, like considering the talent in this match, it was a pretty awful tag match here. Um, this is still the best of a bad batch that we've had so far. I liked La Parker, some of his his offense, like he did the stereo arm dragon head scissors, kind of like Eddie Guerrero used to do in hot tags. Mm, mm. Um, that gorilla press you mentioned was really sloppy. Um, there was a nice Fosbury flop by Kaz as well. Um, yeah, there was some good offensive flurries, but. I found the number of miscommunication spots a little bit too unbelievable, though. Mm. And thankfully, after the match, Lepaka nails uh, both his opponents with a chair and does his dance, so I'm straight back to being in love with him. Hey! (laughs) That was my favourite part of Thunder, was Lepaka's two chair shots and his dance. (laughs) Um, Buff Bagwell and Kurt Hennig are now in a pull-apart brawl backstage, so this is getting ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> Doug Dillinger is going to be on probation at the end of this. Oh, absolutely. And then we go to... Oh, sorry, excuse me. We go to Kurt Hennig taking on Van Hammer. They start with an outside brawl as the commentary team talk about the Kurt Hennig career stuff and Buff Bagwell's out within 30 seconds again. Um, I've got here... It, it's um, between, like, the... Um, between stealing the... Um, overdub stuff for Kai and Ty and stealing the Kurt Hennig career-ending run, it's actually amazing how much 99 WCW storylines got recycled in the WWF, WWE in future years. Oh, that, that's true, yeah. <laughs> that's a real pattern. WWE doing stuff that they would have poked fun at WCW for doing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this was when I really noticed the crowd noise. Um, there's a point in the match where Hammer pulls Kurt out of the ring and the crowd go absolutely bananas. Yeah. It is a little unbelievable. Yes. 
We get a slam from Van Hammer for a two, a DDT, but he misses a swanton. Buff then attacks Kurt Hennig on the floor, and Benoit comes out and makes a save. Hennig sends Van Hammer into Buff and then hits him with the Hennig Plex for the one, two, three, and sort of fist bumps Benoit after the match. So just a, another nothing match with too much interference for my liking. It seemed to have almost negative substance, really. There was only really one spell that I found noteworthy, and for kind of the wrong reasons, really. There was a pathetic running stomp in the corner by Hammer. Um, and then he did he did a DDT, and Hennig did a really weird bump for it, where it almost looked like Hennig was the one that was pinning him. Mm. Very strange. Van Hammer's singlet, by the way, leaves nothing to the imagination when it comes to his uh, hammer, shall we say. <laughs> I did not pick up on that. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, by the way, before this match... Tanae actually threw to a commercial for End of Days. I saw that. It was, um... Sorry, I saw that. It was, yeah, so jarring that, like, the WWF has got Arnie to appear on the show and WCW is just showing an ad for it. Yeah, like, they're really trying to corner that market. Mm. Uh, There's one more sign that I noticed in the crowd as well. I am only here for the Nitro Girls. Well, you turned up to the wrong prob- show there, mate. <laughs> oh, my God. We then go to Chavo Guerrero trying to sell Miss Elizabeth kitchen appliances, but she doesn't cook. So he quickly gets a message and turns a page to the jewellery section and she falls in love. This was um an- another backstage skit with just no substance to it whatsoever. Lex was also going in on the Rolexes too from the looks of it. Yeah, I wonder where he got that from. <laughs> we then go to Lash LaRue taking on Kenny Chaos. We get another awesome pre-match promo from Lash LaRue that I'll splice in. I'll need everyone to tell me whether it's just my unnecessary hatred of Lash LaRue's voice or if anyone else finds him really cringy as well. Getting paid to ruin us? I'm not sure. Lash LaRue's got the microphone, however, and I guess he's got something to say. Terrific. Are you ready for the Mardi Gras? The Raging Cajun is here. I throw a little Grigri over my right shoulder, a little Grigri over my left shoulder, just to make sure I got my mojo working. Now we fixing the left and left bone to rolling. Let the good times roll. I get on. I'm well on that train, Lee. I just wrote, Lash cuts a barely perceptible promo. <laughs> it's even worse than the what was it the um, the raging Cajun that's sweeping the nation, <laughs> nation last time. It's worse than that. It's get like he's actually trying to branch out, and that was a bad idea. Very bad. Larry seems to be on top of all the online rumors about Russo and Ferreira because at some point he goes, "Is somebody being paid to ruin us?" <laughs> Double agent is in the house. <laughs> Uh, early in the match, Chaos overpowers Lash, and then he hits a second rope leg drop. Um, this is just an absolute house show match. There's no way this belongs on primetime TV. Um, a drop kick from Lash and an arm drag. Chaos with a gut wrench power bomb for a two. He catches Lash LaRue on a plancher. Hits a top rope clothesline. Um, we see the speakers on the chairs at ringside again, and then we get the whiplash from Lash for the one, two, three. Mm, big John Cena 2005 win at the end. Mm-hmm. 
I kind of like Kenny Chaos, you know. Really? Yeah, I think he showed a little bit of something with his moves. Um, Lash mostly his mediocre self. There was only there's one point where he did this funky looking net breaker that actually looked quite good. He kind of leg sweeped it like a leg sweep um, to sweep mm. Chaos back, which I quite liked. Um, what was with the heel face dynamic in this one? Yeah, it's it's hard to like. It's hard to even keep track of that because of the the audio. Like, who? They're just they're popping like it's John Cena coming back at the two thousand and eight Royal Rumble for like you know a, a hip toss. Yeah, so like both lads come out basically like baby faces. Um, Lash is like puffing himself up, like poking fun of Chaos's physique as well. So you think, okay, well maybe he's going to be the heel, and I just couldn't follow anything. This is, I think, to your point, Lee, where it became a bit of a house show match. Yeah, when you watch those video recaps, right, like, you see all the stars that aren't on this show, your Sids, your Hall, your Nash, your Sting, your Brett, like, there's about four people that could be considered anything near main eventers that are willing to appear on Thunder, and as a result, we just get, like, you know, when people talk about, oh, this guy was on the roster for three years, this guy was on the roster for two years, yeah, but, like, half of those people wrestled on Thunder, it's just nobody watched it. Yeah. Um, Jeans then with the Filthy Animals, they cut a... a return promo on the revolution um they all seem to be laughing thinking tory wilson's gonna be able to beat down asia and i'm not sure where where this has come from not just asia all the rest of the revolution according to conan he claims tory could probably whoop all those strawberry midgets anyway (laughs) madness we've got um yeah you go this this lad conan he's basically like the go-to agent for half of Lucha Libre in terms of getting them exposure to, like, wider North America. Where does he get off calling people midgets? And it, it was strawberry midgets, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so like, homophobia's in there, too. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I just, I, My mind just went straight to, like, it's a different flavour to what Nash called it and everyone got upset oh. about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even make the connection there. There you go. <laughs> Oh, we go out to a commercial. We we see vamp- uh, Vampire wrapping a chain around his hand. Uh, we go to Chavo Guerrero taking on the Barbarian. Um, he's trying to sell Barbarian something. He's having none of it. He kneel- nails him with the briefcase. Barbarian nails Chavo with the briefcase. Hits a big boot in the one, two, three, and another dud. Yep. Barb then puts an order in for free of something. We, we couldn't tell. At the very least... Barb had his rib taped up from Bam Bam's attack from earlier. Of note, this is the first time that they named Berlin's bodyguard the Wall. And I was very disappointed that Tanae didn't simply declare, That's the Wall, brother! <laughs> yes. Um, We get more video packages on the, t- the tournament. It's just filler as i've mentioned a couple of times it takes an absolute ice age and i completely tuned out of the show at this point yeah this is the same package that would air at the start of mayhem itself we then go to vampiro taking on meng um vampiro's out with his minion called jerry only i have never seen this guy before in my life i don't think (laughs) i'm pretty sure you said this the first time he turned up on the show (laughs) See, this is what I was talking about with them cookie sheet shots. I'll come back to you later in life. <laughs> um, he's, he's in the bank of misfits and they're like, 
they're an actual band with like actual fame outside of wrestling from what I can gather and they're like vamps <laughs> hangers on at the minute. Oh, you know how like everyone used to say about Paul Heyman that like he was really good at like accentuating people's strengths and hiding their weaknesses. Well, I like to think when I started this podcast, I knew like from show to show, I'd just forget what I watched. So that's why I try and go into all of these with a blank slate and just pick the <laughs> best show. <laughs> you can, you can see my weaknesses on full display here. Speaking of going week to week, we find out here that next week Thunder is preempted for Thanksgiving. We get a week mm. off. We we could just watch SmackDown and nothing else. That'd be great. <laughs> well, we'll get onto that later. <laughs> Based on what SmackDown gave us, I wouldn't mind just skipping ahead to the next week. Oh, I'm, I'm more than happy to skip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Larry quips, I'm going to have to golf. <laughs> and then Tanae suggests that they could book Larry on Nitro or a pay-per-view instead to fill out his schedule. That's quite a threat. <laughs> Two shows in a week, perhaps. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, the match starts with Meng hitting chops. We go to a slugfest, a drop kick from Vampiro. Um, this is just like, there's no, there's no grappling here. It's just like strikes back and forth. It's like a really slow kickboxing match. Uh, I kind of liked how it played into like the whole knock the big man down deal. Um, so like I was actually enjoying Ming's no selling, and then finally the spot that did it, Vamp did a spinning heel kick from the top rope, which is a pretty decent way to actually get that across. Yeah. I, to, to your point earlier, it's very house show, but you know compared to the standard of wrestling that we've had so far, I, I kind of dug it. Yeah, which is all like it was a good spin kick, but like the next you know spot is Meng power bombing him back right back, so. Um... He then locks the tongue and death grip on Jerry only on the apron, and we get the bell for some reason. Who knows? Liz comes out um, in... This is one of the... Um, cause we're, basically, Lex is going to be taking on Meng at the pay-per-view. But this is an awful, awful, like, set-up promo where she's on the apron talking about, oh, we, we, you know, she's trying to gain sympathy. Like, I shouldn't have let that happen. It's my fault. Don't blame Lex. And everybody on the planet knows Lex is just going to sneak up from behind, and that's exactly what he does. What everybody doesn't know is that Meng is going to take, a, you know, a chair shot barrage akin to Mick Foley at the 99 Rumble and still stay on his feet. Jesus. Well, you're saying that everybody knows that Lex is going to come in. It seemed like Lex didn't know he was going to come in at first because there's terrible miscues on this. Like, Meng almost actually gets the death grip on Liz. Like, he reaches for it and he has to stop just short because Lex missed his cue. Yeah, it was poorly timed. Yeah, to, to your point, Lee. So, I know I talked everything up leading up to the big knockdown spot. Everything else, including that non-finish, rubbish. Dragged it down. Absolutely. Uh, we then go to Chris Benoit taking on Buff Bagwell, and this is your main event. Um, Benoit with a slam and an elbow, a running knee. They brawl on the floor. We get a backbreaker from Buff for a two. They brawl on the floor some more. Um, it's a lot of offense for Benoit here. It's a fairly fast-paced match, if nothing else. We get a, a backbreaker for two from Benoit, and then just a low blow in front of the referee. No disqualification. Um, not that it works. Bagwell hits a slam for a two, a suplex. Benoit then comes back with a clothesline, misses a top rope headbutt, and um, 
Henning comes out to distract Bagwell, and this allows Benoit to lock on the lock in the crossface for the win. But why does Benoit need Hennig's help? Benoit's a babyface in the semifinals of the world title tournament, taking on Buff Bagwell. Like nothing on this show makes any sense. I don't know what you're talking about, Lee. Personally, when I went to watch Mayhem, Hennig versus Bagwell was the one that I was really looking forward to. <laughs> Got to build that up. And then those two brawl to go out the show. So if you ever wanted to know like what level um, Thunder's at, remember when we finished SmackDown, the, the characters that are finishing out SmackDown, and it's Kurt Hennig and Buff Bagwell finishing out Thunder. <laughs> I loved Hennig gave Buff this really childish raspberry with his fingers waggling in his ears. Absolutely abysmal. And... This entire show, Duncan, rated on the Hammerlock scale, Whoa! and I've gone all the way up to a 7 out of 10 for wasting my time watching this shit. Oh my lord. <laughs> this, like, I, 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 we've watched worse shows, but I can't recall watching a show where absolutely nothing happened, but they, every five seconds, crammed a new character onto the screen. So they've got a hundred segments, and not one of them meant anything. Hmm. Very Russo-rific on that front. I feel like, for me, that main event is basically the match of the night by default because it's the thing that most resembled a regular, cleanly wrestled back-and-forth match between two people with some actual relative importance to WCW as a whole. But, really, like on a regular WCW show, this would only be, like, what? The middle of the card or whatever. Yeah, exactly right. And that's, you know, the, the guys that were in the mid card wouldn't make the show in a decent show. You know, it's just that they've got to use who will show up to Thunder. And the the combination of that and the writing just makes this a dreadful experience. Like they would have, you know, long term, I don't know about the financial ramifications, but as far as like brand damage goes, not having Thunder would have been better for the WCW brand than having Thunder. Ooh, Yeah. Um, I do find that theory kind of interesting. I heard it mentioned that like a lot of people were taking a dive on Thunder because they didn't want to be seen to be beaten by SmackDown. But like, well, you're also wrestling on Nitro, which is getting beaten by Raw. Yeah, absolute nonsense. <sighs> Anywho, that will take us to halftime where we can catch our breath and talk about something more enjoyable than thunder and i thought for this week what i might do is just throw to you like i don't know if you saw on um i don't even know if i posted it or not but um i was playing smackdown one i got one of the the classic playstations and i've modded it or had it modded but now i can add games to it and i've got on there smackdown one smackdown two attitude warzone um i can't remember is it in your house like the the mortal kombat ripoff game Mm mm-hmm and I've been, you know, also, like, I've added a bunch of um, just retro games and was taking a bit of a trip down memory lane. I've not had much of a chance to play it yet, but I was playing some FIFA 98 the other day. Um, well, no, FIFA 99, sorry. And I only wanted this one because I, like, vividly remember this was the last version of FIFA where you could, A, give someone, like, a, a criminal foul and, the, like, it was an instant send-off. But more importantly, you could actually take a dive on this one. Oh, Okay. Mm. So I thought I'd just throw to you for some of your your best and worst retro games that you can remember over the years. Oh, well, so I was more of a 
N64 person than a PlayStation person. I had both, but I was kind of scared of the PlayStation because, like, the how the the disc laser was kind of temperamental. Did you mod ship your PlayStation One? No, but my mate did, um, and mm. we got to experience a whole bunch of games through that. That mm. was a really like common thing around the playground. People would talk about getting the, the PS One chipped. Um, yeah, yeah, I did mine. I I had Attitude, but I had it on the Dreamcast instead. Um, you, had, you had a Dreamcast, a PlayStation, and a 64? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, we, so we got an N64 because my mum actually wanted a PlayStation, but the PlayStations were out of stock because they were popular. So we had the N64 and then only got a PlayStation like two years later. Um, and then we got a Dreamcast a year after that. That is insane. My best friend in high school would always get the alternate con- console to me. So I had a PlayStation, he had an N64, and we'd just swap back and forth. Oh, and yeah. then I got PlayStation 2 and he got Xbox. And, you know, we played together. That was sort of as we were finishing high school. So we, you know, but we could, we always got all the wrestling games on both consoles and would, would meet up and play the shit out of them. So that was really good. And so I, <clears throat> excuse me, until I realized that. SmackDown, you know, 3 was... And Legends of Wrestling even were vastly superior to Xbox's Raw. Oh, yeah. I, I had Raw 2, and that was okay because it had, like a, like, a proper career mode and stuff, um, which was relatively good. But, like, you were wrestling through treacle, essentially, and not in, like, the pervy divas way that they used to, like, to have people do. <laughs> Um, it's really I, kind I, of disappointing because the developer for that they made like the first real round of UFC video games and they were actually pretty well received from what I could gather. I had those. I had the early UFC games on. I want to say PlayStation Two. Yeah, that's that sounds right. Yeah, I, I think um, they were quite decent for the time. Like I, I got them later on. Yeah, I didn't get them when they were brand new. I wasn't into UFC right at the start because Australia and we get everything five years after the rest of the world. But um, <laughs> by the time I played catch up, those PlayStation Two games were quite cheap to get a hold of, and they were really good for the time. Mm, yeah. Um, so like in terms of wrestling games, Attitude was like the jumping on point for me. Mm, mm. Um. That was one that my friends would have on PS1, and I didn't get it until like years later um, for the Dreamcast. My cousin had the Royal Rumble for Dreamcast, and that was really disappointing, so that's why I went with Attitude instead. Um, yeah, what was the ben- worst wrestling game you owned? Oh, God. Um, WrestleMania X8 on the GameCube. There you go. I massive, think I massive that, disappointment. Actually. Oh, you're not missing anything. Really? I, I don't know who had it, but I'm certain I played that briefly. I mean, you probably got all that was worth it out of that play, to be honest. Um, like, I was really hyped about this because I thought, like, oh, the graphics were looking good and stuff. But, like, I got it. There's hardly any sort of content there. Really basic, like, you wrestle for a title career mode. You unlock people by winning each title, and then that was it. You screwed over. Um, lots of unofficial overdubbed music on there mm. instead of the actual licensed theme. So, like, the NWO's music wasn't on there, and oh. Undertaker's music wasn't on there. It's, oh, God, I was so gutted. 
mine mine would probably have to be wcw nitro uh on the playstation so this was you know i said i got my playstation chipped and part of that was like i had a friend that could um burn games so what i would do is i'd just go to the video shop rent two or three games buy a pack of discs pay him you know a fee for each one and you know come back at the end of the day and, and pick up the games and that was one that i was like thank god you know this cost me 15 dollars and not 80 dollars because i played it for five minutes and was like you know what this was so cheap that i could just frisbee this out and never play it again it was awful oh madness yeah it was bad this, this is a good time to talk about this because on the smackdown coming up we're gonna see my first ever wrestling game Oh yes, yes. This was um, yeah, it features quite prominently in this show as well. Um, it, it's it's funny. We'll get to it, but um, they get the point across for what they're trying to achieve when WCW tries to advertise a hundred things and you don't pick up any of them. Yeah, right. God, you remember they have the mayhem box in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus wept. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh well, oh, that was a nice little trip down memory lane. I sort of you know just I, i've literally got the mini playstation sat in front of me and it, it reminded me coming in to record that oh i've downloaded all these old games oh actually that and the whole point of the segment was i'm going to be um sometime in the future having like a a wrestling game review so i've got my my brother has the the mini nintendo which i got modded i've got the mini mega drive that i got modded and now the mini playstation so i think i'm going to go on like a little trip down memory lane and review all the old wrestling games on an upcoming episode so that was that was what made me think of this for today wow um or maybe several episodes i think to give them each a decent play i'll probably want to do maybe like a couple of games per episode or something like that yeah i think you could probably go like by console era or something yeah um well, that's probably um, a good segue to move across to SmackDown if you're ready to do it. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's get into this. Patterson, you tell him. You tell McMahon. You tell McMahon. He's making this too personal. You got it? Briscoe, Patterson, real bad. They're hurt. Watch out. Up in your office. Come. Hurry. Dx. Patterson and Briscoe? Briscoe, go. Dx, got him real bad. Go. So we have a bit of a. Uh, strange open with DX beating down Patterson and Briscoe um, with Triple H repeating the line um, tell Vince he's making this too personal and then we go from there to the video package 
if my wife was watching this with me, we'd both be telling him, Hunter, don't take it personal. <laughs> Patterson had a big, like, bloody nose or something at the yeah. very start of the video, which was quite comical, too. Yeah. Um, just for context, we were on uh, the tram home once, and there were these two teen girls who were seemingly, like, Snapchatting everybody on their contacts list and just going through them and singing that hook to them. It's like, Gemma, don't take it personal. <laughs> Having the time of their lives. Oh my God, that would have been a fun train trip. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, after the video package, we see Vince, Test, Stephanie and Shane arrive in a limo and Sergeant Slaughter runs out to tell them the bad news and they all go sprinting in to find Patterson and Briscoe. And my first thought was, where the fuck was Sarge when they were getting the beat down? How did he escape that? Well, you know, that's why he's only got stolen valor and not actual valor. <laughs> oh, he was a fake stooge. He was never really in the stooges. He just yes. tells everyone he was. <laughs> <laughs> he he is the JD McDonough of Judgment Day of the Stooges. <laughs> um, and then he's sent to go and get Triple H, and I'd be thinking, fuck off, we better look what he just did to Patterson and Briscoe. Why would I go into his locker room? <laughs> but Sarge just willfully goes along to get him. <laughs> uh. Um, I, uh, I popped here in Jerry's, you're taking this too personal, Mr. McMahon. Oh, I know. And he just kept saying it again and again. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, we then go it, um, to the first match. Sorry, the commentary team, Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole. Um, and it's Edge and Christian taking on Too Cool, who cut a pre-match promo in the ring that I'm going to splice in here and see if anyone can make heads or tails of what they're saying. <laughs> against Kane, and we'll tell you about that in just a second. It's like this. We's right. We's wrong. What? We's white. We's strong. We's is too cool. I'll translate. I speak Ebonics. Yo, 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 yo. You don't understand, because you're not cool. I am the Grandmaster Sexy. And if you don't know me... You ain't my home, man. <laughs> you fat with that G. We are the originators, the innovators, the master oh, percolators of cool. You know what a homie is, yeah, Michael? we about to get crunk up on you mofos. <laughs> I know you know what a mofo You a mofo, Michael. Well, I'll tell you, Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher are having a serious identity crisis here. I found this really weird, too. Yeah. This is the very, very formative stages of Too Cool here, isn't it? What does he say? I'm the, um, what does he say? With the innovator, with the innovators, with the regulators, with a master. Wait, 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 wait. And then he changes it to something else. That 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 part popped me a little bit. Yeah, the master per percolators of cool. <laughs> percolators. <laughs> oh, the match gets started with some chain wrestling and then a drop kick from Christian and an arm drag. A double team hip toss from Edge and Christian. Um, the first five minutes here feel more important than Thunder is my note as we're halfway through the first match. <laughs> um, Edge hits a nice, like, uh, reverses a double suplex into two neck breakers on, on Too Cool. Um, he hits a missile drop kick for a two. Christian hits a DDT on both of them for a two. And then the Unprettier, not yet named. But the referee's distracted. And this allows Grandmaster Sexay to come off the top with a hip-hop drop for the one, two, three. And what feels like a pretty significant victory for Too Cool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
Edge and Christian get the heat back at the end, so Cap no sold that, which I wasn't best pleased about. But um, to your point, we've seen this pattern so many times. SmackDown immediately slaughtering Thunder in the ring. Like this was like a similar sort of quality to Thunder's main event, I thought, but slightly superior because I thought the characters were better and it was like fresher in terms of offense. Definitely agree. Um, on the production note, fucking Michael Cole running through tonight's card sounded like PlayStation SmackDown generated commentary here. WWF title on the line tonight. The Big Show defends against Hardcore Holly. <laughs> oh, someone's put this together on Create a Pay Per View, and that's the best that the computer can generate for us. <laughs> we need JR telling us Edge and Christian are using the Twisty Rockets. <laughs> um, speaking of which, we go to the WrestleMania 2000 Slam of the Week. So, not the Pay Per View, but the N64 game. And it's Triple H pie-facing Vince and then nailing him when Vince tries to retaliate in the ring. Oh, this, this game, man. Oh, my God. The, my overriding memory was how hard the career mode was. Like, you would start off on Heat and then work your way up to Raw and then maybe get on the pay-per-views. And any time I faced anybody of any name value, I would get slaughtered. <laughs> I don't like I played this one I think after I played No Mercy from memory. Oh. Um yeah, like we just, you know, over, this was it's it's hard to explain to people now like in the age of like, you know, everything dropping digitally at the same time and you can download games, but like Australia didn't get everything at the same time as the rest of the world in the 90s and you know I, I want to say by the time like even the consoles arrived, you're playing catch up and games weren't cheap, particularly, you know, we were in high school and I was not especially well off the, you know, the $15 it took to rent a game and burn it for my PlayStation was a lot of money for me back then. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm pretty certain that I'd played No Mercy before I ever got this into the console. Mm-hmm. It, what, I didn't have it long, like before No Mercy came out, it must've been like, kind of like spring in 2000 when I got it because they only started showing WWF on Channel 4 in 2000. One other thing I remember doing is the creation suite was like really, really massive and I basically Mm. like ruined the game, like modding everybody trying to make them look like they were on like 2000 WWF. So like I turned Undertaker into American Badass and made sure Triple H had his short trunks and Test had his long pants and doing all sorts. Nice one. Um, I, I I had a note there about WrestleMania 2000. I've completely lost my train of thought. Never mind. Um, we then go to um, Vince, uh, Stephanie, Shane and Test um, going to the DX locker room and Vince and Triple H are just having a, a massive, like, yelling match here and you I, I really struggled to make out much of what was being said it was just like two guys shouting at each other with with also a bunch of background ground characters trying to calm everyone down um yeah so but whole point is before the slam of the week slaughter told vince that triple h demanded vince go to him instead so vince agreed and he turned up here i thought this supposed locker room just looked like a corridor to all the other actual locker room rooms <laughs> oh, the um, 
there's an, a moment later, I think it's a rock promo, where, like, they've just not bothered to erect, like, a backstage set, and he's just talking in, like, the middle of, like, a storage area for his promo. Do you know, I not thought of that until you mentioned it. Like, my overriding memory of SmackDown backstage is the, like, airbrushed, um, kind of miniature version of the, the rings with yeah. the oval tron in the background and the blue lighting and yeah we've not seen that yet no it's still to come mm. we then go to the smackdown debut of one kurt angle oh fucking yes on oh, my notes is exactly that <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> Um, and he'll be taking on Gangrel, who is partnered with Luna. And I had, n- I have no recollection of those two being an on-screen pairing. This seems like it's the debut of them as an on-screen pairing. Funnily enough, they would actually go on to become a real-life couple at the end of this as well. But I like when Luna's in the Royal Rumble 2000 swimsuit competition. Is she still with Gangrel then? Because like that's my next memory of Luna, and. I swear, like, they're not a couple in early 2000. Uh, Gangrel's role really kind of changed in early 2000. I have very little memory of him, like, at that time, like, when I started watching. Um, And, yeah, Luna would be gone as well, so... um, I I think we don't see much come of it because they're both going to be, like, put out to pasture, in a sense, pretty soon. Fair. My my only two thousand memories of Gangrella just filling out those multi man hardcore matches. Mm. He would sometimes wrestle. You know, he had the the puffy shirt. Sometimes he'd wrestle with the sleeves cut off. Mm. There you go. I don't recall that either. It's madness. We've got a guy in the crowd holding up a WWF Izzy Moral sign, and we're told by the commentary team he held up a similar theme sign on Raw, jumped the barricade, and was escorted out of the arena. Hmm, like a proto-right to censor here from the sounds of it. Mm. Speaking of Raw, by the way, so Kurt made his debut on Raw, what made his Raw debut the same week, and it was in his hometown of Pittsburgh, and he still got booed out of the building, according to Michael Cole. This is interesting that you bring this up, because my first note on this match was like, I, I've, I've not seen the Raw match, but I remember the Survivor Series match against Sean Stasiak, where the same thing happens, right? He's getting booed, he gets on the mic, he has a go at the crowd. Yeah. But on this one, they've barely locked up and he does it again, and I'm like, I didn't hear anyone boo you, Kurt. Yeah, I mean, like, he's pretty awesome from the get-go, like, in terms of Matt wrestling, like, that fireman carry takedown at the jump was just sensational. Yeah, no, he's really good. Um, when he gets back in the ring, he does eat a hot shot and a slam, <clears throat> but he comes back with a massive overhead belly-to-belly suplex, a power slam, and then the Olympic slam, not yet the angle slam for the one, two, three, and what was a bit of a glorified squash here. Exactly what it needed to be. Kurt's here, and he's already wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. We then go backstage to see Duncan, sorry, I mean Test, playing <laughs> in WrestleMania 2000 on the N64. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny he he was playing as himself and he's playing against yep. triple h the big smelly mark and he <laughs> didn't look to be winning either <laughs> no you'd think they'd like somehow light this up so that it shows him hitting his finisher and pinning triple h but no he's on the outside eating clotheslines and just button mashing <laughs> <laughs> oh man um stephanie's opening up wedding gifts <laughs> Yeah, a little early for that, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little early for that. Um, We cut to the DX locker room where they're just chatting strategy. We don't hear much. We go to commercial. 
we come back and Stephanie opens up a card with a frog and it says that your real gift is in the limo, so hop to it. Um, this is clearly a trap, but Tess, being the rocket scientist he is, goes, oh, don't, I'll go outside knowing it's a trap. Why not just not go? Um, but no, he gets attacked by Billy Gunn, uh, thrown into the wall, and then stuffed into a boot, and Billy Gunn drives off with him in the car. Well, so he doesn't even have that level of self-awareness. He tells Steph that he'll go instead because, oh, it's too cold for you out there. So he leaves Steph alone, knowing we've already had people beaten down backstage and he walks into a trap like tested this show comes across like an utter idiot and i realize like we're, we're in the build-up now we've finished survivor series we're in the build-up to armageddon and, and most people will know that at armageddon it's it's vince versus triple h and it's on the, the heels of stephanie having been drugged and married to triple h so we know that's coming in you know a couple of weeks max but they really really have put like the death knell on test before even getting to that angle watching this back what put the death knell on test for me in this segment was when he leaves his game and abandons his game, it's still going on without him there. So he's exposed himself as a fraud. He just had the game on the PC versus PC mode and the two lads were there like just battering each other and he was butting mashing pretending to play the game. Well, yeah, he was pressing the small buttons, not the big ones. And I'm certain they didn't do any any strikes. Like, it's been a long time since I've played an N64, but he wasn't using the joystick and he was pressing the, the smaller buttons. So the joystick only did taunts and the D-pad had the movements, but the small ones were only for, like, getting out of a ring or Irish whips or running and stuff like that. Like, it wasn't a game that you'd, like, button mash other than maybe the strike button, really. Yeah, there you go. Um, absolute nonsense. Anyway, we go to our lugs boot of the week, and it's Big Show handing out choke slams to the Mean Street Posse on Raw. Oh, there you go. It's then time for Big Viss to get a you know an early glimpse of his two thousands love machine character as he's hitting on Tori backstage. Oh boy. He's quick to point out to Tori that he's very well endowed, and this brings Kane in from stage right to attack him and, and put an end to that. Oh, the, the pull-apart brawlitis from Thunder is catching, evidently. Mm. You've missed a match here, by the way. Oh, shit, I have skipped over the Godfather and the British Bulldog. Yeah, European um, title on the line. Yes, I, um, I, don't, I just went straight past it on my notes. So <laughs> Probably um, a reason for that. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, how could you miss the the absolute, like, crowd-pleasing promo from the Godfather telling the British Bulldog he's not going to get the hose and he's going to have to spank his monkey? Aye. Oh, clothesline and a slam from the Bulldog, and then the posse come out. They pay the hose at ringside to dance with them. Um, Godfather goes to the floor, and the guy puts the WWF is immoral sign on his face, so he grabs it. Security take him away. Then the posse attack the Godfather, Bulldog gets the running slam, and the posse take their money back off the girls and head up the stage. Utter scabs! Utter scab bastards! <laughs> Absolutely. Like, the hoes have never interfered in a match. Why did they need to be distracted? Oh, beats me. Barely a match, really. I was kind of impressed Bully got Godfather up for the power slam, at least. My main thing was wondering, is this WWF is a moral guy, David Kochner? I have no idea. The, um... What's his name from Anchorman? Westman Tooth? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't actually tweak that I'd seen him before somewhere. Yeah, look, spitting image of him. I was trying to figure out, like, because it's too soon for RTC. Like, was this like a... What was the guy's name? It was like Brent something or other, right? From the, the Parents Television Council. Was this meant to be him? Mm, yeah, I, I feel like that might be preying on their mind. Um, certainly, Mick would probably be at the starting point of writing his next book, and there's a lot of that um, kind of like addressing the PTC's criticism in, in that book. So, anything sort of you know up until two thousand and one. Like, my my wrestling memory, like, and I'm talking from 2001 all the way back to when I first started watching, say, around the time of, like, WrestleMania 1, right? As far as, not that I was watching at that time, but the shows that I've managed to watch over the course of my life. Like, if it didn't take place on the pay-per-view or, you know, at, at least a compilation tape, I just don't know it happening. And it's, it's interesting seeing, like, on SmackDown, like, Gangrel and Luda I mentioned before. But also this guy, whatever this angle is, it never makes it to a pay-per-view. So it's, it's funny seeing these bits that never quite made it to the big shows. Therefore, I've got no memory of whatsoever. Yeah, there's, there's so much here that's new to me. Yeah. Well, sorry, with the exception of, like, I did get superstars through 1998. Um, so anything that happened before 98 or between 98 and 01, I do not remember if it wasn't on pay-per-view. <laughs> Got you. Um, DX and the McMahon's getting another shouting match, and Steph even starts thumping away at Triple H. Yeah. Um, it does not last long before she's pulled away, though. <laughs> um, Vince says he's calling the cops. Yep, that, and we'll see how effective that is as the night goes on. <laughs> we then get the Big Show defending his title against Hardcore Holly with Crash. So we've got a boss man beat the Rock on Raw to become the number one contender, and now Hardcore Holly's getting a title shot. We, you know, you and I have talked about this a few times over the years, but like when someone gets the title and their opponents basically determine how well the title run's going to be was the big shows was the writing on the wall for the big show less than a week after he won the belt here or what uh, exactly yeah i i was pondering at the conclusion of this has the wwf title ever been more mid card than this yeah it's not even like you know I, i'd argue there's two or three stories above the big show you know like jericho and china is certainly more prestigious than this, than this one for the intercontinental title mm -hmm. um you know and then whatever the rock's doing is going to be more important than this yeah for sure smackdown by the way once again brought to you by wrestlemania 2000 on the n64 it's also brought to you by wwf for music volume 4 and lego mindstorms I have no idea what that Lego is, but WWF The Music Volume 4, um, one that I definitely had back in the day. I think Mindstorms was some kind of weird thing where you hook it up to your PC or something. Fair enough. Lego went through it, like some funny stages before they realised what we should do is just find a way to sell people to the, uh, sell Lego to the people that had it as kids. What, what adult-themed Legos can we do? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... That's all happened, and then we go to the the Holly Big Show match. Um, and I've got here before the match starts. Oh, I know what's going to happen here. This is where Hardcore Holly wins the title and fucking beats everyone. <laughs> uh, but no, um, we get Holly pushing Show, and then Show attacks, and then it hits a huge beal. 
Hardcore comes back with his lovely drop kick. Crash comes in for a two-on-one that's not a disqualification. Big Show comes back with big boots and then a choke slam. Pins Hardcore Holly and Crash jumps on him to break it up, but Big Show just doesn't get up, so the referee continues counting and we get the one, two, three. He then choke slams Crash. The boss man comes out and attacks him with a nightstick and gives him a few shots to the head before running off. So, like, the lack of logic in terms of when a DQ should be happening was a big holdback, but I did like that spot where Crash couldn't interrupt a pinfall. Yeah, it was, it was amusing. I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, that Beal was seemingly magical as it teleported both men to the opposite corners of the ring. Oh, I didn't notice. Oh, they do this all the time. Like, any time there's, like, an Irish whip, or like a coming out of the corner thing, the editing just goes all bollocks and suddenly they reverse direction. (laughs) Oh, we then get the McMahons somehow getting Test back. It's never really explained how they got him back from the kidnapping, but they do. And he's got a bit of a bloody nose now. Yeah, the the car just magically turns back up in the parking lot. Um, This is like the third or fourth time I think we've seen Test with a broken nose. Yeah, they make they even make reference to it like it's it's being broken again a couple of times, don't they? Oh god. Um Yeah, just circling back a little bit to the perception of Big Show as a champion. King was fully emphasizing that Big Show's only the champion because Vince screwed Triple H. Yep. Yep, it's got nothing to do with Big Show. Like, this lad is 7 foot 2 and 500 pounds, and, like, you're trying to emphasize that, oh, but he needed help to win this title, though. But, I mean, he really didn't. Vince just counted the pin from memory. Yeah, basically. Like, he... Well, so I think it's just as much that Big Show got inserted into this match as, like, whatever actions Vince did in, in the actual substance of the match. But still, like... It's all because DX were trying to eliminate Austin from the match anyway that they happened, so it's the chickens coming out of roost, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we then go to Viscera versus Kane. Tori's told to stay on the ramp. That doesn't last long, spoiler. <laughs> Kane hits a drop kick, Viscera hits a slam, they're on the floor. Tori comes down and allows Viscera to stalk her, so just completely ignores Kane telling her that's exactly what would happen. Um they brawl on the outside. Kane hits a top rope clothesline and an okay-looking choke slam for the one, two, three. Yeah, not not quite Hogan Undertaker Judgment Day levels, but you know you do what you can. <laughs> um, more angle than match. This show is falling off a cliff in the ring. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard because like I know I've been really critical of Thunder and this show is following a lot of the same patterns, but everyone's just such a bigger deal, and at least it's the main event guys on this show. Yeah, um, in a large part, that's true. Um, I don't really care for the main storyline going through this show, though, if I'm honest. Yeah, same. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. And to be totally fair, Armageddon 99's probably on... Like, it's it's very low on my pay-per-view list. Like, I just... I, I As we were talking before about, like, um, 
you know, when I said whatever The Rock does will be more important, I actually went, oh, what what did The Rock do at Armageddon? And I had to Google it to see that him and Mankind went for the tag titles. So, you know, other than the Stephanie turn coming up, I, I couldn't remember a single thing about Armageddon. Oh, I tell a lie. Rikishi, I don't even know who he fights, but I know he does a promo where he, he does the, the hickory, hickory dickory dock. <laughs> Rikishi finally talk. That's all I remember from Armageddon 99. <laughs> hickory dickory dock. I did it. For the rock. <laughs> now that would have been a way to get it over. <laughs> um, Triple H knocks on Vince's door and drops off a gift for Test, a catcher's mask. This is, um, it's just eating into too much of the show, I think, here is a big part of the problem. Yeah, I don't, uh, just enough. JR's backstage on the phone with the cops. Um, for some reason, he points out to them that Jerry Lawler is an ass. Um, basically, we're, you know, we're getting the theme of people having to answer what they were doing um, on the night Austin was run over. I don't know how they could just have these, you know, interviews over the phone. <laughs> That's not really how, like, attempted murder interviews are normally conducted, but sure. Yeah, so um, it's the... Um asking details on the Austin case and he claims that Lawler's his lawyer and what <laughs> he's doing it as a rib on King basically and that's why he goes he's a restaurant quality ass that's right with two S's <laughs> which popped me hard hey, what a rib oh we see the uh the footage of Austin being run over at Survivor Series. And then we just skip to a match basically in progress. It's a hardcore triple threat for the women's title, Jacqueline, Luna, and Ivory. They never enter the ring. They brawl along the, the floor and then they, um, they break a broom over each other. They go through the crowd. They go to backstage and then they end up like basically taking the match to the concourse and they're hitting each other with like popcorn and boxes of straws and bumping for these things. <laughs> um, they... Almost ended up in the women's locker room, and Jimmy Carderas, the referee, is like, "I can't go in there." And Luna pushes him in. Well, that's not the um, the worst place they end up because they end oh, up in no. the men's room, <laughs> and Ivory's thrown to the floor with two clearly indie wrestlers taking a leak at the urinals, and the reveal of her face when she looks up and sees the guy pig is actually cinema gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> They're like giving her the thumbs up and stuff. <laughs> And she like she like crawls backwards out of there like she's paralyzed in fear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ivory deserved a fucking medal for that one. That was so funny. Um, in the end, they end up backstage, like not backstage, like sorry, inside the kitchen concession area. And there's a few cookie sheet shots, and Ivory picks up the one, two, three in an absolute chaotic brawl. <laughs> this popped me. It's the right combo of laughs and um brawling that was entertaining it's more interesting than any of the like 30 second 10 man tags they've done in recent times right oh definitely we then go to something that really didn't hit it for me mankind and al snow on a vegas vacation um courtesy of like ups i think upn sorry not ups um it's just trying too hard to be funny and i just yeah they're lame cheesy jokes just didn't hit for me like in a pre-recorded segment um basically they're going through vegas it's where they've been sent um they joke about you know mick oh at least we went first class and al i was in 28c by the crapper ha 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 i know i saw you there like it's just not funny that's a good rib but it's not a good quip 
No. Um, and they've got this guy impersonating The Rock, in you know, interrupting them at all times, and it's just not funny. Also, like, the ending where two guys offer to pay for them to go to a strip club and they're sat there with lap dance, getting lap dancers, giving them quarters, and one of them throws the coin in Mick's eye. Like, it's just, yeah. I get the feeling, like... You know, if you're on the road and you're with your mates and you're making up ridiculous scenarios and they're hilarious to you at the time, but it just wouldn't make for good television for anyone else. Yeah, I've, this is not Mick's best stuff. Um, being in Vegas or in embarrassing Hawaiian shirts, and I swear Mick's is just pictures of hot sauce bottles. <laughs> and they've both got fanny packs on too. <laughs> but one line that did get me was they're playing poker and Mick's like really hyping up his hands like oh i've got a dream hand Al. and our goes you've been dreaming about your hand all your life all right <laughs> oh it was um yeah it was a little cringy yeah not not the best use of tv we then see from Raw, China and Miss Kitty costing Chris Jericho a match against Gangrel. Um, apparently he said that if he lost to China, he'd get a sex change. So they come out with giant bolt cutters and then Miss Kitty pulls out a tiny set of scissors as a more appropriate size for performing the operation. Um, after this, Jericho gets pissed off and he kidnaps China and then he breaks her thumb with repeated hammer shots. It was a little violent, that. Yeah, real gruesome. We then go to Mark Henry taking on Chris Jericho. They each cut a pre-match promo. Mark Henry, you know, still has some soft spot for China and wants to get revenge for her. Jericho comes out just insulting him. He goes on offense early but eats a power bomb. Jericho, though, immediately fights back for the Bulldog and the Lion Slot in a 1-2-3. And this match, Duncan, actually got my dick move of the week because this is, like, when they talk about punishing Mark Henry for staying, like, a, a basically 40-second squash to Chris Jericho. That is an awful way to treat Mark Henry. I mean, thankfully, it wasn't Mark Henry in there. I believe Chris Jericho mentioned he was wrestling Mike Henry. <laughs> yeah, that is one of my things that I enjoy about newly turned babyface Jericho coming up. But, like, no problem with henry putting over jericho jericho is a bigger star at this point but like no basically no selling a power bomb eating two moves and, and being pinned clean is ridiculous very weird like like when the great carly was like his dancing guy and he was like the jobber to the stars instead it feels so odd mm. um fanshire love the woman beat a chris jericho don't they yeah he's getting over mm. We then go backstage to the Dudleys on the phone to the police and Bubba stutters and they hang up. That's um, about the best I can tell you about that. Right, so they're on a payphone. How are the police calling a payphone? <laughs> like, and what do they do after they hang up the call too, by the way? Oh, it beats me. I mean, like... They, they surely, check to see if like, there's any money left in it. <laughs> Did that not take you back? <laughs> oh, no. I, oh, do you know what? Um, there was a payphone at the train station where um, we'd go to to go home after going and seeing my grandma and I would, just, while waiting for the train, sit there and press every number that I could to try and get a, a, get through as a tone or whatever. <laughs> I was that bored. Um, so this investigation is... Um, for what they're calling attempted vehicular homicide on Austin. Mm, I'm not sure that's a real made-up law. Well, I mean, probably, you know, they've got to look out for him at the local medical facility. 
Oh my god. Um, yeah, the EMTs are going to take care of him, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. Um, we then go to Lillian Garcia with The Rock. He cuts a promo on the boss man and being the people's champion, which I'll splice in here just for the fact that I've not put too many audio clips in the episode yet. Well, Rock, it's obvious that you must have revenge on your mind as you go against the big boss man tonight. Finally, The Rock has come back to Cincinnati! Big boss man, The Rock says this. Last week, Monday Night Raw, did you beat The Rock? You're damn right you did. Did you beat The Rock by yourself? You're damn right you didn't, because you couldn't. It took not one, but two to beat The Rock. And now, boss man, you are the number one contender for the WWF title. Boss man. Boss man, The Rock says that he knows in time he will be the WWF champion. And The Rock's people know that in due time, The Rock will be, without a shadow of a doubt, the best damn WWF champion there ever was. So The Rock says, boss man, you can have your number one contender spot because The Rock has a title in which he is very proud of. The Rock has a title in which you or no one else could ever, ever have. And that is the title of being the people's champion. So boss man, having said that, Tonight on SmackDown, The Rock's show, as sure as The Rock has the recognized symbol of greatness, the Brahma Bull tattooed on his arm, and as sure as The Rock is gonna lay the smack it down on your candy ass. So not necessarily Rock's best work, but he still comes across as a bigger star than pretty much anyone on either show, right? It's basically my thoughts too. Very routine from him, but by God, he is over. Yeah. We then go to the Outlaws taking on the Hardys. Outlaws defending their tag team titles. Um, The match starts with all four men brawling before Matt gets on the offense with a DDT and a plancher. Road Dog comes back with his... Um, road dog like punching combo and he's shaking knee 
Matt with a backdrop and then they all brawl again. We get poetry in motion, but when they go for a second attempt, um, one of the outlaws pulls the referee in the way. On the floor, the Hardys hit a really nice heart attack off using, like Matt holds up um, Billy Gunn, I think it is, and Jeff runs the barricade before hitting the clothesline. That was an awesome spot. Yeah, great stuff. Um, we get a double team leg drop, so where one Hardy would come off the second rope and the and Jeff would hold the feet and leg drop through the crutch. Um, we get a suplex and a swanton, so they've not gone to twist of fate swanton as their finisher just yet. And then we get one Hardy coming off the top on one side and the other coming across the ring, one with a leg drop and a, and a splash. Um, x Puck comes out and makes a save, though, with the referee still down. He hits a spin kick on Matt, jumps out the ring, but Road Dog has eaten a lot more punishment, so Matt still goes for the cover. Billy Gunn pulls the ref out on two, and then x Puck gets back in and hits an X-Factor, and this time Road Dog pins for the one, two, three. I'm not a demanding guy at all. Like This might have been on fast-forward, but good lord, it was filled with tons of good double-team action, and I think this is my favourite thing across both shows so far. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Like Watching this... It had the right mix of action and characters to actually make you want to pay attention, and that was one of the few things on either show that really did that, to be honest. No doubt about it. What I really wish I hadn't paid attention to was when the outlaws were coming out. Daddy Ass was seemingly just stood there, bending over and massaging his taint for all of us while he was on the ramp. Did you notice how see-through his tights were on this episode? Oh, God, yeah. It's like when... um... Remember when he teamed with China to get the DX mm-hmm. name and they both had the yep. matching thongs and stuff, yeah. Yeah, this is very, like, very thin green lycra with a black thong underneath. Yeah. Um, Road Dog kicked the match off by saying that the Outlaws kick it doggy style with the Hardy's mama. <laughs> Did... Uh, the, uh, Am I speaking out of turn here, or is the Hardy's mama not already passed at this stage? Oh, I I have no clue, actually. Because weren't they just raised by their dad, or am I remembering this completely wrong? I'm not sure. I, like That vaguely rings a bell about them being in a single-parent household, but I've not heard like who, who it was that they were without. Yeah, they were definitely with their dad, because he was still like around for like the final deletion stuff oh oh yeah that's right yeah okay yeah anyway if so that seems a little harsh um we then go to marissa mazzola so a rare appearance for her with arnie just a couple of quick sound bites here they don't play much of the interview uh, and then they go to gabrielle byrne who's the, the the devil in end of days and he basically just has one line about arnie um and yeah it's just a a bit more hype for end of days basically nothing to it not much substance here yeah uh, arnie referred to the world box office championship as a belt again yeah and he said what would she say thank you for the sit down and he goes sit down smack down something like that <laughs> i i liked how he was like it was also nice that they played the end of days trailer for the audience <laughs> he was so grateful um, yeah Gabriel Byrne so way to put over the show he didn't watch Arnie on Smackdown but he heard that he attempted to kick a lot of ass yeah well like, did he succeed <laughs> he might have been great you should have watched yeah 
Um, Steph, Shane, and Test, and Vince are all back in the locker room again, and they can smell something burning. We go to commercial, and then we see them all falling out the room, except for Stephanie. She's not out right away. Mm. Um, we then go to Boss Man taking on The Rock. Boss Man's out with Albert. Rock goes on offense early. They brawl on the floor. We get a back suplex from Rock for a two, and then a spine buster from Boss Man for a two. Albert gets some cheap shots in on the floor. We get a boss man, um, oh, sorry, we get a rock DDT and then a rock bottom for the one, two, three. Albert comes in and we get a bit of a two on one, but Big Show comes out for the save, choke slamming Albert as boss man escapes. The Hollies then come out, but they both eat a rock bottom as Big Show chases boss man to the back. So uh, not a really good way to treat your number one contender if you want to sell any pay-per-views off that match. No, for sure. It's like the WCW-itis that we had on the other show, really. Um but in terms of like it as a self-contained match, this was another breezy one. Got a bit of back and forth. It's almost to the point where it would make an exciting match. Um, Bossman stands no chance as a headline act, even if he None. had more in the can than I expected from watching him here. Um, he was like 10 seconds into getting the heat on the rock and there were, the crowd were immediately in with a rocky chance. He is... He's the next guy. It's so obvious. Absolutely. Um, then Vince sends the others to the limo, um, and they basically tell security slash police that they should stay with Vince. So this is just, yeah, way too much of it. We, we're finally wrapping up here, though, as Triple H comes out to cut a promo on him, calls him out, won't fight him because he said he wants it signed that he can do it legally without being fired first. And then... We see his family on screen lay at the bottom of stairs and Triple H makes some jokes about how they've fallen. Vince runs back and Triple H tells him to be careful not to fall. So it just, yeah, starts and finishes with Triple H. But, like, other than just being a general pest and a few cheap shots on the McMahon family, like, nothing of consequence happened. Two big anticlimaxes in a row here. Triple H is heading out and you know how... They had the cliffhanger like, oh no, Stephanie's not out of the burning locker room. Yep, and well, then she just was after the break. Yeah, Cole just says, oh yeah, Stephanie's fine, by the way. Like, what the hell was the point of that then? Yeah. And yeah, watching the end of this one, I was just like, what, that's it? That's the end? And this wasn't yeah. cut or edited or anything. I literally went back to a blog or a recap done at the time of this broadcast just to check that nothing had been cut from the show or whatever. And yeah, this is exactly how it ended. The opposite of a cliffhanger, really. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, just a, a poor ending. Like, I, I don't mind them opening the show with this, but ending with a, effectively the same thing. Like, did we really need two hours and 15 involvements of DX or the McMahons to get from they beat up the Stooges to they beat up Shane, Steph, and Test, like, really? Like, we could have done that pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, this fuse not doing it for me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that comes to the end of the show, so I suppose we could do some ratings and, you know, move on from these two shows forever. Um, no, It'll probably come as no surprise to you after giving WCW the hammerlock treatment that I've just got the WWF on everything by default, and it wasn't because anything was great, but it was because all of it was at least watchable. Mm, yeah, um, I don't think I have anything um, I've, to really 
debate that much. I think the closest one was production, just because of like the weird commentary and the edits that we got on SmackDown. Um, but like you say, I think this wasn't an especially good episode of SmackDown, but it's well more than enough to cakewalk against Thunder. I didn't yeah, think I. Sorry, you go. I mean, I didn't think I'd be saying this at this point in time, but thank Christ for the tag division in the WWF. Yeah, just the the Outlaws, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, um, all coming across as like they're, they're giving you something worthwhile watching. I, I agree mm. with what you said about the production value too, except for the fact that Thunder's audio was just atrocious. SmackDown's like production value was poor by its usual standards, but wcw making out that the fucking maestro was getting a, a john cena pop like and having a speaker sat down on a chair at ringside like come on guys yeah yeah i mean so like it was smackdown's weakest aspect but it was still much more naturalistic than thunder was for sure 100 percent. so this was just to me like i mean i'd be surprised and i probably like part of the excitement now watching going forward for me dunk is not necessarily that like fun it's going to be a competitive show but does thunder even have a week left where it's better than smackdown like i'd be shocked to see thunder beat smackdown ever again i'm not expecting it at all yeah oh well we've got something to look forward to then i guess um can it win a category (laughs) let's see if we can even get a run on the board um but other, other than dwelling on these too much longer, like, what have you got coming up in the can? I saw another tape trader diary dropped on there now, whatever, this week, and I'm excitedly looking forward to popping that on my listens in the next day or two. What else is coming up for you and Kyle? Yeah, that's right. We just launched our Vengeance 2001 episode, giving you the full fan experience of watching it on Channel 4 back in the day. We reviewed not just the pay-per-view, but I give Kyle the rundown of Sunday Night Heat from that same night, and we go over the best of the crazy British adverts that we had in between. That's the kind of trade-off that you get for being on Channel 4. The next episode will be the night after on Monday Night Raw, December the 10th, where Jericho gets awarded the championship and we see all the fallout from Vengeance. Uh, Hopefully we're going to be recording that very, very soon um, and look for that at March in some time, hopefully. Nice. Have I ever told you? I might have said this before. You know what my memory's like, but... um. I once got a pay-per-view sent across from from, uh, UK TV. Um, Can you guess what the one VHS that a family member of mine back in Manchester recorded and sent to me as a child? Oh. No, go on. King of the Ring 1995. Oh, my God! I wish I still had that VHS because I'd be, like, begging to do a tape trader diary on that. That was... I. As awful as it was, and everyone will say it's possibly the worst WWF pay-per-view of all time, um, I still I watched it like 10 times because I was so devoid of any new wrestling. Like There was nothing over here in 95, so I watched that show again and again and again with all the adverts intact. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that would be my tape trader diary, that one right there. Wow. Uh, well, that will do it for the end of the show. As I said... Um, Richie and I are going to be looking at a post-war Royal Rumble because it was Royal Rumble season and we felt like watching one. So we've got 2002 Rumble coming up. Um, I'm still going with 96, heading into 97 quickly, which is exciting. And then I'm going to look to do some um, retro wrestling games reviews in the upcoming months as well. So that's probably what's on the agenda for me over here. Um, But yeah, that's 
that's the wrap for SmackDown and Thunder November 18. Thanks again for jumping on, Dunk. Pleasure as always, Lee. And I will see you all next time. <laughs>